Hello and welcome to Filibustering History, a podcast series where we discuss what historians do with their lives. I am Rob Denning, lead faculty for the history programs at Southern New Hampshire University's College of Online and Continuing Education. Before we get started today, I want to share a couple items related to this podcast and our sister podcast, History Soundbites. In order to streamline our various Twitter, SoundCloud, and YouTube feeds, James and I are consolidating filibustering history and history soundbites under the collective name of Working Historians. We will still refer to individual episodes as part of the filibustering or soundbite series, but you'll find all of these interviews and presentations by searching for Working Historians on your favorite podcast apps. Now that brings me to my second announcement. Both series are now available via iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, and, as far as I can tell, any other applications wherein podcasts can be found. Again, find us by searching for Working Historians, although you can probably also find us by searching for Filibustering or the Soundbites names. You can subscribe to the podcast feed in any of those apps, and, if you're feeling generous, perhaps leave us a review, which will help other like-minded people find us. If you can't find us on your favorite podcast app, please let me know and I'll dispatch a crack response team from our sanctuary on the forest moon of Endor to correct that oversight. Oh, that's another thing. We also have a new email address for all things podcast related, workinghistorians at gmail.com. Our old institutional addresses still work, of course, but maybe this is easier to remember. Okay, now back to our mini-series within a series with the multi-multi-syllabic name Filibustering Museology where we discuss what museum specialists do with their lives. So far, we have met museologists from such exotic locales as Paris, Rio de Janeiro, and San Francisco. Today, we're going international again, this time to Argentina with Susie Chung, an adjunct instructor and team lead at SNHU, and Monica Ristikoff de Gorgas, a museum specialist and board member for the International Committee of Museology, or ICOM, Uh, Monica is based in Tucumán, Argentina. Susie and I are going to talk to Monica about her career as a teacher and museum specialist, and we are going to discuss important new trends in museology, such as the increasing emphasis on diversity in exhibits and other museum programs. What is your name and what do you do? Well, I'm Monica Rishnikov de Gorgas. I'm a museum curator, and I'm teaching museum management in the Master of Museology, a postgraduate career at the National University of Tucumán. And I also coordinate a group for the recognition of the Afro-descendant presence and heritage in my province, Córdoba, in my country, Argentina. So what is your academic and professional background? When I was young and I finished my secondary school, with the, my title was teacher, and then I begin to study lawyer. I, I have two years studying uh, law, but after that I get married and I have three children. And well, I was working in in another things. I was working in tourism, and then I said I have almost 26 or 25 years, and and said well I I want to do something different. I want to make my life another profession, another career, and then I decided to study mythology. No, it was it is interesting to say that because most of the people that was studying with me mythology, well, 
I didn't think the career was uh, something to, to work about, but it's something to, to make your um, intellectual or, or your... Not, not thinking, they, they were not thinking of working in museums. The, the majority of the people that, that was studying with me. But for me it was, no, no, I want to study this because I want to work in a museum. I have museum studies, you know, it's not the name you use in the United States uh, because uh, my title is uh, Conservadora de Museos, it's like museum curator. After that, I continue my my readings and my searching about museology, and I worked at the. I, I'm a member of ICOM in, since 1986, and uh, well, at, at the beginning, my interest in museology was very much related to education. But as I continue working in different places and and my interest was was much much closer to to history and memory and heritage you know the link between museology ethics and cultural diversity and it's also linked to education but with another concept of education you know not not in a way you teach something to someone but it it, it was a something that goes and comes from a, both parts, you know, to the construction of, of, of a memory, you know. That's, that's, I think, this is the main thing about museology, you know. Yes, I'm, I'm very interested in how you became involved with ICOM and ICAFOM. I, I was working uh, at that time in the National Board of Muse Museums, depending on the Secretary of Culture of my country, and there was the, um, the organization of the best, the, the great reunion of ICOM in Argentina, no? the, the general conference. And then uh, I met uh, Meli de Carolis, that uh, she was uh, very involved with ICOFOM. And then I was assisting to this big conference, to the reunions of SICA um, and to the reunions of ICOFOM. And then I was a member of of ICOM in Argentina that was or reorganized by that time, no? By uh, that time I was living in Buenos Aires. After that, after some years, I I came here to Cordoba, that is a, a central province of Argentina, a very a very interesting place because one of the first universe, universities of uh, South America, Latin America, is here and with a lot of opportunities to study and to make research here, you know? and then, well, coming and going to Buenos Aires, and uh, I was a part of the board of ICOM, ICOM Argentina, and get involved with the reunions of ICAFOM, and begin to, to, to travel and to know people of ICAFOM and get acquainted with these uh, big personalities of ICAFOM, like André de Valais, and this, this uh, makes made a difference in my life and in the way I, I thought about uh, museums and museology. In which symposium would you say that you enjoyed the most? Well, the first symposium I uh, participated uh, with ICOFOM was about power politics 
and museums in Latin America. That was a small symposium organized in the province of uh, Mendoza here. And then it was, uh, I was uh, really shocked by the new, new way to see museums, because when, when I studied museology, it was more rigid, and this feeling that this museum shows the truth. And then when you get involved with this kind of symposium that opens your mind and you say, no, no, museums don't show the truth, show one truth, and it is very much linked to ideology and to politics and the place of power museums have in the world, no? And can you talk a little bit about what aspects of museology and museum studies interest you the most? My interest was in in education. But then, as I, I worked for many years in a historical museum that was declared World Heritage because of the importance of the Jesuitical history, I began to feel that the history and memory and diversity was the most important thing, you know. That, and, and, and then another thing is that how do you relate with, with people, how do you influence lives, how do you influence the way you, you think, and how you can play a role to citizenship. And then I, I, I began to, to write some papers, reading, and questioning, you know, questioning the role museums have had in Latin America, copying the role that it has had in Europe. And then thinking about how museums are being a colonialist and influenced the lives of the people, teaching things that sometimes they were not politically correct. My interest in museology is, is thinking that it is always an ideological and political point of view in the different museums and how they have influenced like schools and other institutions the life of the people and how museums have to change not only in the thought or in the way the people is looking at the museums but also have to change inside the museums. I think uh, reading it was very important in, me, in my career uh, reading the, um, the result of the round table of Santiago de Chile uh, in 1972. That was uh, remarks the importance of the integral patrimony, you know? no, no, the, not um, integral heritage. That the heritage is not only cultural and then natural and then immaterial, it's, a, it's an integral and that can change the lives of the people, no? And it has a very important before and an after this this round table. And today we are thinking about this re-reading and reinterpreting what what's said in the in those times. I, I completely agree with you and I think that is really the trend in public history, museum studies, museology, the reinterpretation of history and heritage. And it's a very important part of also what you I know you are very interested in is the intangible 
heritage as well. I agree with you, Susie, because European uh, uh, way of thinking, it was very, very linked with the positivism and encyclopedic. Uh, it was in the, in the beginning of the museum. And then the, the great challenge for our museums here in Latin America and also in Africa and Asia is to present immaterial heritage. I think that the, the important thing is not objects. The important thing in museums are ideas that are presented with objects. And also the diversity of thinking and ideas and messages you can construct with an object. And, and another thing that I think is, it is very important, museum people feel very proud of being museum people. Sometimes they forget that they are in different communities and that the common people have to say something about their heritage. That is a, not only a, the research is not only a question of researchers in the university, you know, pay attention for the feelings of people, the interest of people, and what people want to say. And that's the big challenge of museums today. Well, as you know, I mean, that is the purpose of the symposium that SNHU is going to be hosting with ICAFOM later this year in September, is to figure out how do we change the definition of museum and how do we incorporate local ideas into a global definition of the museum and all of that. So these are some really big issues that you're talking about, and it makes a lot of sense. It's important to folks in Latin America, Asia, Africa, and, and also in the United States. It's, a, it's something that is of interest to everybody that has any kind of passing interest in history or museum studies. About the museum definition, I think we have to make a difference between museum definition as an institution and museum concept as a phenomenon. I understand that ICOM needs a definition that could apply in every part of the world institutionally to know what is a museum or what is not a museum. But it changes when you think about the real concept of museum, you know? How you, we can, as I put everything in one thing that is not only administrative and institutional definition. And I think that's the big challenge of this rethinking the museum definition. Because I think the museum definition is a little administrative. It's saying what is not and what it is. It is not the interest of ICOM to put a controversy, the difficult thing about museums that I think it's, uh, it's very important to talk about. Not only the definition, but also the concept. And I wanted to ask you a little bit more about the Cordoba slave route meetings that you coordinate, because it's very important how we, you know, expand that definition of a museum to the connection with heritage route and museums as nodal points. And what you're doing sounds fascinating um, with the artistic and musical workshops with Afro-descendant groups. There are two concepts, how the Afro-descendant groups and Afro-descendant people. Uh, here in Argentina, we are mixed. 
And uh, the job I am doing is not only to defend the Afro-descendant groups, but to recognize that we, most of us, even we have not dark color, we are Afro-descendant people because of our culture, because the way we are, because the music we like, because the food we eat, the first thing it happens when you are mixed is to lose the color. But what you, you don't lose is your roots. And the problem here, at least in my country, is that this heritage, this importance has been denied. The work I am doing, the work our group is doing, is for the recognition of the importance of the heritage of the Afro-descendant people. You know, we have to adopt this uh, name of Afro-descendant because it was adopted in a very big reunion in South Africa and Durban. Because uh, there is a misunderstanding when you talk about black people, you know. But there are some people that feel they are Argentinian and they have Afro-descendant roots. They, they don't belong to an Afro-descendant group. I think what we are doing is, because research has, research and intellectual people in the university have recognized long time ago the importance of the Afro-descendant culture. But the common people sometimes ignore that, and it's not only ignorance, it's denial, no? That's the big job we have. We're talking about three roots, the European roots, the First Nations roots, and also the Afro-descendant root. And it was very much denied in our country. I think the neoliberalism and the colonialist thinking was very, very strong here and very strong with the, the concept of Argentinian as people who came from the ships, you know, ignoring that the, not only the ships of the immigrants that came mostly at the uh, ending of the 19th century and the beginning of the 20th century that came from Europe, from, because it was, um, it was a political decision to make to, to bring those people here, but there are all these roots of people who came here in, six, in the 16th and 17th century and came from the ships as, as slaves. Our group is named uh, Cordoba, the root of the slave, because we are linked with UNESCO, no? It's a very big project of UNESCO, and we success in the recognizing of sites of memory of the Jesuitic Estancias and another place linked to UNESCO. But we, we don't like to speak about the slaves. We prefer to speak about enslaved people. You don't want them to be defined by their by being a slave. They are more than just a slave, but they are people who are enslaved, and so that distinction does make a lot of sense. That's it. And then uh, we are doing a very big job 
Uh, we have um, reunions with different kind of people and organizing different kind of explanations, visiting sites of memory with people, organizing workshop with people, not only with uh, the intellectual part of the society that recognize that, but with everybody, people, everybody, and uh, sometimes with remarking the immaterial heritage, and because I think that that our group, a group that brings together people from the university, from Afro-descendant people, from teachers, from different kinds of people, we uh, makes uh, we go went to go to schools. We 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 are doing a very 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 interesting job, and we are seeing seeing the the results. But also we have uh, to 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 confront with some people that that don't want to see that. You know, no no, we are not. We are not, or, or, or at least they say, all these people is disappeared. They they died. It, it's a, a, it's interesting. It's a, I think the the role that museums uh, have to play, but not only museums, no. And this is a very interesting because uh, this 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 group or another groups that I that I belong to. Uh, we are working together museums, libraries, and archives. Uh, and I think um, uh, it's, that's very important because uh, archives, libraries, and museums are getting a big, big, big change uh, in, in the way they see history and they see the importance of diversity and the importance of the... Um, that, they they don't have the truth, the the recognized truth. And, and I think that's a very interesting point because museums, libraries, and archives are considered museums under the museum definition of the International Council of Museums. So I think you made a good point there. And most of the practices that uh, they conduct are, you know, they're similar, very similar. Yes, they have um, different methodologies and they have had different goals historically. But getting these three institutions together, uh, you can find that the big change is mostly in archives and museums. Libraries are being more democratic in history, no? At least in our country with popular libraries. But archives uh, with this attachment to the document, and the documentalist said this, the truth is in the document, and is the truth in the document? Or is the document something to interpret depending your ideology on your political situation? And that's interesting because this big change is inside the archives. And then we are working together, looking at history in another way. You mentioned earlier that you are retired. And so I don't think we need to spend much time talking about, you know, a day in the life of your job, since that's obviously not the case here. But 
what are some of the big projects that you've done over the years that you've been really proud of? You've talked about the Cordoba slave idea, which is a really cool idea. I'd like to know some more about that. But what other projects have you been involved with over your career that you're particularly proud of? I think the, when I was the director of the National Museum of the Estancia Jesuitica of Altagracia, I worked very hard for the recognition by UNESCO of the Jesuitic block and the Estancias of Cordoba as a World Heritage. We worked very hard because we have to present the project to UNESCO. The, the people of the communities don't feel represented. And that's the idea of heritage that I, I defend. Heritage is heritage not because their beauty or their architectural uh, importance of the historical importance. Heritage is heritage when you feel that you can appropriate of these places, of these uh, ways of living, you know. And then uh, we have, you know, in, in English and in Spanish there is a problem because we, we said heritage as patrimonio, that it's not a good translation for patrimony. But we, in, in Spanish, we talk about a word that is patrimonialización. That is the, the process when you appropriate of something and then it is your heritage. In, in this moment of my life, when I was working so much for different I believed before, and I put in question now, not me, but a lot of people with me also, the importance is that museums not only change the definition, but the aims and the, the position in, in society. And I think it's one of the best things of museums. They open your mind. When you visit a museum, with an open mind that you discover other things, other peoples, other stories through the objects. And I think that's a, that's a very moving thing about museums. You discover not only other cultures, but you feel that you can feel being the other. That's a, a very important thing about museums. Not the definition is we are we and these are the other people or the others. And, you feel that you could feel like other. We are Afro-descendant, no matter if you have in your blood Afro-descendants. This kind of communication that you can feel empathy with other people, no? And that's the important thing of museums. It's like communication. Communication is a communion union with other. That's one of the aims of the museum. And this has a lot to do with history, you know, on history and memory that are not the same things. These are a place for coming to understand different people and to commune with other people. I thought that was a really good way to phrase that. Do you have something that you would like to recommend for us, Monica? I, I was thinking about and I said, I recommend you and you recommend your students to visit museum with an open mind and to visit museum with a, an idea that uh, a great museologist had. And he said, Kenneth Hudson said, you have to get out the museum, not with many answers, but with many questions. 
And I also recommend you the some readings that have opened my mind, no? The reading of uh, Svetantal Todorov or the readings of another people like Garcia Canclini in South America that could help to open your, your mind, no? Also, as I, as I said it before, Look for the declaration of the round tables and they will chill in 1972. It's, that's important, no? Another author that I, I, I recommend is Bennett. The, the, these people these have right things that have opened my mind. And I think uh, it, it's very important to have a, another recommendation is take a look to diversity. Uh, museums have played a role in the past that sometimes have not contributed to a real peace in the world. And that's a big challenge of museums today. Well, yeah, thank you for that. That's a lot of uh, great recommendations. Uh, Susie, do you have anything to recommend today? I do. In connection with Monica, I'd like to recommend two of her publications. And one was published in 2001, which I incorporated in some of my papers um, that I'm writing up. It's called Reality as Illusion, The Historic Houses That Become Museums. And that was published by Museum International. And um, the second publication is Afro-Descendant Heritage and His Unacknowledged Legacy in Latin American Museums. And this was within a chapter of the Museums, Ethics, and Cultural Heritage publication in 2016, and it is connected with where Monica was a director at. So the Museo Nacional Estancia Jesuitica de Alta Gracia y Casa del Vire. Is that correct, Monica? <laughs> Estancia Jesuitica de Alta Gracia y Casa del Virrey Liniers. It's amazing because um, the museum was named because a viceroy lived here. And when I started to work there, the museum was named Casa del Virrey Liniers. But when they, it was declared World Heritage because it was a Jesuitic estancia, it has to change its name. And you can find the museum in the internet. So I wanted to quote something that wraps up everything that she's talked about in terms of her theoretical concepts on heritage from actually the first publication, Reality is Illusion, the Historic Houses that Become Museums. And um, her quote is, we are more interested in processes than in objects. And we are interested in them not for their capacity to remain pure, always authentic, but because they represent certain ways of seeing and experiencing the world and life per se. I think like in exhibitions, words say things and silence also say things. In our conversational way we talk, silence said a lot of things. And in exhibitions, when you organize exhibitions, sometimes make some silence in the exhibition, gives uh, people the opportunity of express their own ideas. It's good to, to hear the silence things. 
Um, my recommendation is, well, I, I don't know if it's actually a recommendation or just more of kind of a random news item that is out there these days, which I think it'll be interesting to see if this pops up in our discussion in the symposium once we get to it. But I came across a news article in the American Historical Association where there's a bit of a controversy among historians because evidently the Barack Obama Presidential Library in Chicago is not actually going to house any physical documents. Every document is going to be available online, and so it's going to be a virtual archive. All of the paper documents, I guess there will be a physical location for those, obviously, but it's going to be somewhere off-site and somewhere that is not accessible to researchers. And so there's controversy there because, you know, the idea that all of these documents are going to be online in some ways is great, but in some ways opens up a whole bunch of other problems like, you know, what happens if the server crashes or something like that. And so there's, it, it'll be interesting to see if this is a kind of the wave of the future or if this is just a random attempt <laughs> that will not actually become reality. But it is an interesting thought to think about if future archives and future museums can be virtual museums or virtual archives. Now, they will still have a physical museum attached to this archive, uh, and they will still have you know, meeting centers, that kind of thing. But the archive itself, which is of primary concern to a lot of historians, will not actually have any physical documents. And so it will be interesting to see what happens when people try to do research, because they won't have a physical live archivist to talk to. As we all know, working in presidential archives today, presidential libraries, they all have archivists on hand that know the collections and can direct you to specific resources and all of that. But this place will not have that. And so it'll just be interesting to see what happens. Yes, I, I think um, I recommend a book about that. about uh, one of our thinkers of ICOFOM is Bernard Deloche. And the name of the book is The Virtual Museum. And I think the one thing that is very important is that uh, it uh, the the meaning of virtual is something that is, is possible to be. That's mm -hmm. virtual. Some 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 something that it is possible to be. And I think the 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 way Bernard Deloche uh, focus to the subject of virtuality it's it's a, it enlightens you very much. It's a very nice book, really. Okay. We have very thinkers at ICOFOM, no? It's another recommendation I do. Go to the basis, people who investigate and research uh, museology, go to the basis, go to the publications of ICOFOM, because a lot of time they have said things a lot of time ago that is are applied to our today, no? I, would... I think there's still a lot of development that needs to take place in terms of advancement of the practices in digitization. And one of the problems I did encounter doing research is that some of the documents that the archivists or the volunteers, whoever uploaded these documents digitally, is they don't digitize front and back. They'll only digitize one part and some of the important information that's on the back that was handwritten is not shown. But it's, I mean, it's recorded in terms of it's written in text, but still you would like to see the image of the handwritten 
text as well. So I think those are some of the issues probably we still are facing in terms of virtuality and complete digitization. Yep. And that's what a lot of people are concerned about with this library also is that, you know, it's it's a, everybody has to make a conscious decision. Are we going to scan this particular document? And if we are going to scan this document, are we going to scan the entire thing? Or like you said, are we going to leave out the margin notes or the scribbled notes that are on the back? It's a it's a decision that you have to make for every single document. And since every single document, there is a cost involved in digitizing that document, then you start to worry, are there are there going to be cost concerns? You know, if they only have so much budget for scanning documents, does that mean they're going to just focus on specific parts of it? Or how assiduously will they scan the entire document? So that those are the issues that people are concerned about with this. And I don't think the planners of the Obama library have really, they haven't really give, given satisfactory answers for that yet. And so we will have to see if they do come up with satisfactory answers. Well, the, the, the subject that is behind that is that when you choose a part of a document, it's not only because economical reasons, but because you choose the part of the document that is reliable to you because your own thoughts of your your own ideological and political uh, uh, concepts. You know? Right. You always choose what you what is it important to you, and what is important to you it's uh, tinted with your ideology and with your political position. Exactly. And, and that's it. That's it. That's that's the subject, no. Yeah. Yep. Okay, I'm very, I'm very, I thank you very much for your patience. To you, both of you, Rob and Susie, that is a very nice professional. Yeah, and this was, you, this was a lot of fun. Was, thank you for joining us today. Gracias. Okay. Thank you, Robert. Muchas gracias. Y un, as we said in Spanish, un fuerte abrazo para los dos. A great future for both of you. Very kind of you. And thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or comments for this podcast or suggestions for future episodes, as always, send me an email, but to our new address at workinghistorians at gmail.com. For Susie Chung and Monica de Gorgas, I am Rob Denning. Have a good day. Hello and welcome to Filibustering History. Filibuster his Hello and welcome to Filibustering Museology. Oh. Hello and welcome to filibustering history. God. Hello and welcome to filibustering history, a podcast series where we discuss what historians do with their lives. <laughs>